Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. The opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Odd Fellows. Our conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. And now, let's continue the journey. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson. And here we are on another crossover episode with our dear friends from the Three Links Oddcast. So tonight, today, this morning, uh, I recommend that uh, you go grab some popcorn, you tell the dog that it's going to be an extra long walk with them, maybe you drive a little bit longer to work. This podcast, two hours of fun and, I guess, information. We're going to have some fun. That's right. We're going to have some We're fun. We're going to have it's fun. Fellowship. Yeah. That's right. So I have Toby Hansen and we have Ainsley Heinlich. How are you guys? I'm wonderful. Great. So what have you guys been up to? What's news? What's What's been happening? We did this last in October. I got well, my COVID vaccines. Well, there you go. Eh? Good old state of Illinois rocking it. Yep. That's always good. Uh, I got my first shot. I had actually signed up to take the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is the single shot. And then the morning after I had signed up and got the confirmation, I got a text saying, oh, the uh, FDA has pulled the vaccine and they're not giving it out. And so I spent the rest of the week in limbo and then got another text saying, you're getting the Moderna instead. So instead of the single shot vaccine that I'd get my three weeks and then be able to do in-person lessons with my students and other things like that. I got the Moderna, so now I have to wait. I get a second shot coming up in three weeks. And then in June, I should be able to resume accordion lessons in person, which I'm really looking forward to. It'll be nice to leave the house. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, the one little sense of normality of, uh, I don't know, seeing people or doing, you know, even just a little bit of uh, what you're always been up to. Um, but uh, yeah, today we're doing this show. It's going to be a little different. Uh, I'll give the premise if that's yes, okay please with do. you guys. So uh, a little backstory on this is I listened to a very funny uh, podcast that's about baseball and what the idea that happens. Uh, well, of course, they're reading, you know, listener mail and that sort of thing. But over their 1600 episodes, people have started to ask these what if questions and the idea is that baseball is such a familiar activity that they ask these kind of weird hypotheticals uh summer's you know pretty um in line with kind of the history of baseball or whether decisions were made in the past and so forth but they asked the host to you know consider this and what would it be different and what would baseball look like what would how would it operate? Because we're so familiar with the way it is. So there'll be funny things like, uh, you know, what if uh, there were hurdles that were between home plate and first base? So you had to jump over hurdles. Or what if uh, a pitcher could decide how tall the walls would be uh, for each batter that came? 
uh, so the walls around the state around the ballpark and so forth so uh, what would do you know the height of a home run so the idea is that the host would not just talk about well there'd be more home runs or it'd be harder to get to first base they talk about how you would pick players or what the strategy would be and and what impact that would be on the money or people get paid or whatever so they come up with these ways out of this hypothetical and so i asked toby and ainsley if they thought this was a way to do an odd fellow show and they were foolish enough to say <laughs> okay that's right i think it's a brilliant idea you know, we all sit around and talk about how we would like to see Odd Fellowship be different. Here's our chance to really think it through and speak at length about how it could be different. I think it's a brilliant idea. Thank you for that. That doesn't You're happen welcome. very often on MGR that there's a brilliant idea. <laughs> but we're here to prove everyone wrong. And we're here to take half credit for it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> All right, so we have shared some what ifs so that we could prepare. And uh, this show is a crossover, so there'll be two sections. You'll be listening to the MGR portion right now. And then uh, there'll be the other half is going to be uh, published through Three Links Oddcast. So you'll download that one for the second part. And uh, we spit our, split our questions, spit our questions, um, sort of into a looking backwards section and a looking forward section. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. I was paying attention at the previous phone call. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking at my questions for the first half. And is it okay if I'm the moderator for the first half? Yes, of course. Ahead. Thank you. Seems appropriate. Okay, why not? So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a bit of a uh, hmm, bit of a beach ball here to hit. Uh, I'm not gonna go after the other ones that you've uh, given me. <laughs> Yes, start us off easy. You know, <laughs> fastball right down the middle. All right, all right. No right. change-ups, no, no sliders, no curveballs. <laughs> Nothing tough. Okay, so uh, how would Odd Fellowship be different if we maintained the membership density of the past with uh, today's lodges? So the idea is that, um, you know, 1890s in Victoria, there was something like... Um, 16,000 people, which was double, three times the previous population census 10 years before. But there were like 600 odd fellows in that 1,600 or 16,000 people. Um, and then there was a gang of uh, Manchester United uh, odd fellows as well in Victoria. Um, so we're kind of like, well, what would, what would cities be like if the density of odd fellowship maintained for a longer period than it did. The Who wants to go first? Thing, uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah. The first thing that I can think of is if we still had those kind of numbers in Odd Fellowship, we would still have the big, beautiful downtown Odd Fellows halls. We would have things like in Seattle, there's now the Century Ballroom, which is in the old 1908 Odd Fellows building on Capitol Hill. And that... With those kind of numbers, we would still have those big buildings. Um, we would have a number of lodges meeting in those buildings, uh, and we would be able to have the lodges that were broken up around things like, um, nowadays, probably gender, like you have in Victoria, where you have a predominantly female lodge in Bastion 4. 
Uh, we would have lodges broken up by occupation, you know, firemen's lodge, doctor's lodge. We'd also have some ethnic divisions. I know in the past there have places there have been places that have had a Slavic lodge, or a Germanic lodge, a Franco-American lodge, which is in San, San Francisco, I think. So I think we would have a lot more of that kind of specialization in our cities. And I think it would give us uh, a certain greater variety to be able to appeal to the community at large because if you're a, a firefighter and there's a fireman's lodge, you're going to be talking to your fellow firefighters and they're going to say, hey, we all belong to this lodge that meets at the Oddfellows Temple on Pine Street. Why don't you come join us? And I think by having... Um, some more specialized focused lodges around things like that. I think it would really help for building a community for that lodge and maintaining a strong link to that community. I would take a different angle at it. Cause that definitely I think is awesome. I think if we were still the juggernaut that we were a hundred years ago, um, member benefits, that would be the, one of the big things we would see is we would be able to afford to provide more member benefits like we once did, as opposed to today, the member benefits are limited to the friendship and socialization kind of bonds as opposed to any financial type of benefit that once upon a time we would have gotten if we were sick or hurt or out of work or any of the number of programs that we used to have that were kind of more insurance-based. Oh, here's, here's another thing that I just thought of based on what you said. Mm -hmm. There are some jurisdictions that have their own parks and camps. Oh, yes. If we had more members we would have more of those parks, campgrounds, private facilities for ourselves. I know here in Washington, uh, we had to sell our Oddfellows Park on Camino Island. We had our own private park with a beautiful hall, wonderful facilities, outdoor picnic grounds, um, tennis courts. It was great. It was a beautiful place. But we were not using it. We were paying a lot of money every year for a resource which none of our members used. And so if we still had the membership numbers that we did proportionally 100 years ago, there would be a waiting list to get into that park. And we likely may have bought another park somewhere else in the state. One of the big draws for membership in Oregon is they have their beautiful Jesse T. Jones Oddfellows Park at the Oregon Dunes. And that generates a lot of interest in Odd Fellowship from people who go there and say, hey, I want to be part of that club that has private access to the Oregon Dunes. How do I get that? Yeah, it's a, you know, you've hit both uh, really cool things. And I think that, like, for a perspective, like Victoria is a city of about 97,000 just in the main core. So we'd be talking about 9,000 odd fellows in, in our little city. But, um, you know, owning more, definitely having bigger, grander buildings that, you know, that were more temples and so forth. I think the other thing would be like the branches, 
would be so vibrant because there just would be such a pressure on the the top of the leadership pyramid. Like we would be going, okay, well, yeah, we need another. Like, like, could you imagine having an, another encampment or something in a, in a town? You'd be like, well, we have to have more encampments because we have so many people that want to be in an encampment. Um, I, I think that would just be such a huge difference for the ability to be curious and answer that curiosity with, hey, there's a Slavic lodge down the street. I wonder what, wonder what a meeting's like. They're going to welcome me in. Um, yeah, like you don't have to listen to it listen to a podcast about how somebody else does it you just go down the street um and and see and hear what they have perspective wise on their work um you have the specialization or maybe even you have like i can imagine that there's just lodges that not only specialize based on who they have as members but who they serve Mm -hmm. you know we don't need to worry about this charity you know lodge 802 has that that's their gig um and how much greater we could we could deliver as far as service so i mean the answer is there's more odd fellows like but but uh yeah and the median age of the membership would be probably considerably lower by decades and the age of the leadership would also be considerably lower by decades as well so it would probably be a far more up-to-date, um, technologically speaking, uh, infrastructure-wise uh, organization that would probably be a lot, um, a lot more polished. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I kind of like being in the underdogs. It's it's frustrating, but at the same time, it kind of I don't know. There's a little something there that we have that I think is what's bringing folks like us together that we might not have ever become friends had odd fellowship been as massive as it once was, we would have never even been on each other's radars. So our our world would have been a lot smaller of odd fellowship because there would have been so many more members. Never thought of that. That's interesting. Now here's another thought uh, that came to me while I was listening to your answer, Billy. And that is, one of the issues that I ran into as Grandmaster, and I'm sure a lot of other people listening to the podcast have run into in one way or another, is lack of dissemination of information. Lodges not knowing how to do things, especially when you get an isolated lodge. You know, up there in British Columbia, you, you have one of the most isolated lodges, I think, in all of Odd Fellowship, or at least in North America. You have Caribou 65. And that is a like a two day drive from Vancouver. And so it's not going to get there are no other lodges up in that part of British Columbia that are are going to allow for an interchange of information. So they can't go to a district association meeting and learn the proper procedure for doing this. A lodge like that is going to be very much on its own. And I think all of our jurisdictions have lodges that are to some extent isolated because we don't have the numbers we used to have. If we had more members, we would have fewer blank spots on the map. And so it would be easier to exchange 
information from one lodge to the next to the next. Like mm-hmm. if you had a lodge in Hundred Mile House, you know, at least that's another lodge on the way up to Prince George where Caribou 65 is. And uh, just in case she's listening, hello, Veronica. Uh, I do know <laughs> Veronica from uh, our many trips to Northwest together. But with more members, it's easier to spread information and you have fewer of those information starved locations right. that don't get the interchange and end up kind of making up their own rules for things because they don't know what else to do. Right. So can I jump on the technology angle that Hainsley was just working on? Because uh, I think Toby and Ainsley, you guys talked in a show recently about technology and that Oddfellows in the past was a, a an active not, I don't know if you refer to it as cutting edge, but like they had, they had technology. They used technology of recorded music or of the slideshows or of um, I don't know maybe motion pictures. But you know the the hall had theater and had space and and the and the recordings for um, odes and so forth. I think it was in that show. So what about technology? If we looked at technology and said, okay, what if Oddfellows kept the technology that we had in the past. We would have that uh, virtual reality VR goggle initiation degrees and everything by now, I bet, if we were, you know, millions and millions of members strong. Uh, I, I you feel mean like, like the, the thing that you see people, they've got them on and they're in their living room and then they run into their TV. Is that the, yeah, yeah, that's like the, the thing Oculus. you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that would just be like the the cutting edge of today equivalent of back then having the magic lantern to bring in to do the the symbolic elements of the ritual versus pointing on a tracing board or on a banner. And you know, if you think about it, this is something that really struck me when I was doing research for our music show. If you were to go back a hundred years in time, let's say it's spring of 1921, the odd fellows were at our absolute peak then. And from the civil war, so about the 1860s, uh, up until that time, the 1920s, in that time period, those 60 years, we were always on the cutting edge of technology. We were the fraternal order that wasn't just saying, hey, open your shirt and we're going to poke you in the chest. Uh, We were the fraternal order that was saying, here's the magic lantern. We are going to project these things on the wall in the same way you would see if you went to a Victorian era lecture. And we were the fraternal order that was using the telegraph code so that lodges could maintain secrecy while getting information from other lodges over a public communications network. We were the order that was using phonograph recordings of the odes, and I have visited lodges that have a wind-up Victrola in the lodge hall, and they would have played the record of the odes and they would have played the record of the initiation music they would have played those things and they would have embraced technology we were really on the forefront of embracing technology and i think part of that is the fact that we were an operative organization 
that was always looking to do the best that it could to provide for its members' needs. So any way we could make the job of a lodge secretary or a grand lodge secretary better, easier, faster, we were always looking to do that. Somewhere along the line, after World War II, things changed. And then all of a sudden, the culture of Odd Fellowship, because we were no longer about doing what we were originally doing to serve working people, it became more about clinging to this culture of the past. And in some ways, it is great to be able to look at our rich past and say, this gives us a lot of inspiration for the future. But in other ways, it holds us back because we miss the things, you know, when you have grand secretaries who don't even have email, when when there mm-hmm. are units of the order who say, our lodge is just fine. It doesn't matter that nobody knows who we are or where we are or what we do. We don't need our name and number in the phone book, let alone having a Facebook page so that people who might be interested can find us. Somewhere along the way, that inverted, and we went from being the order that really loved technology and what it could do for us. You know, we we lost that sort of pioneering spirit of looking for new ways to better deliver odd fellowship to our members, and it became uh, basically a club for people who liked things better in the old days. Yeah. So, okay. So let's just put our hypothesizing hats on. So is it because at the over, it fits perfectly, Toby. Custom tailored. I like the, uh, I like the feather. Um, Is, you know, could, could it be that technology was blamed for the demise of the order in the fifties and sixties because they were starting to blame Technology is the reasons not to go to lodge. So they hearken back to what they, the members at the time, they hearken back to a time where it was less complicated and it was more about how they, yeah. Like, what do you guys think I about that? have to say, as somebody who is, you know, I, I, I would consider myself Gen X, like the tail end of it. Um, my whole life growing up, and being like the on the edge of that computer tipping point and digital age tipping point and seeing how people are like, oh, kids will never know what it used to be like the way it used to be. And this whole waxing poetic about the past being better through the rose tinted glasses of nostalgia. And I feel like whichever odd fellow first uttered the words young people don't want to join today because <laughs> and it's probably that probably started in the 50s whenever tv came around or maybe before that with radio with lone ranger or whatever whoever uttered those words first and somebody else clung on to those words and kept repeating it are that is a virus that needs to be struck from the language of the order and it's a falsehood that it's, it's almost like a lie that begets another lie because it's more comfortable to live with the lie or the fantasy that young people don't want to join because they're too busy watching TV or they're too busy playing video games or they're too busy doing this or that or the other. Instead of saying, why aren't we interesting enough or what aren't we doing to want people to join? 
it's the wrong they're it's the wrong question that we've been asking ourselves for 75 years instead of looking at ourselves and saying what do we need to do differently we are blaming the people that aren't even members or that don't even know about us so it's like this kind of shoving up and shirking of responsibility by people starting after the second world war when a lot of our programs got taken away from us by the um by the new deal or um i'm sure whatever equivalent in canada and we failed to pivot and find a new niche to serve or refine our service and refine our goals and we failed to really reassess things and instead we started blaming everybody else for our problems i i would add something to that <clears throat> and that is if you look at what happened once the active benefits sort of went away from odd fellowship things changed and then we didn't have the same kind of core mission and so it became much more about perpetuating the culture of lodges at the time and when it becomes about perpetuating the culture of lodges at the time that tends to stop any kind of forward growth now coming from a musical background um, I actually had formal conservatory training in music, and there was a lot of hand-wringing there about the state of orchestras and what orchestras do and what orchestras should do. Because in the modern era, orchestras exist to play music from 100 to 400 years ago. And you can say, oh yes, but occasionally they play Aaron Copland. But even so, you know, 1% of orchestral literature is not the old dead guys. And of that 1%, 1% um, of that is stuff that is fairly new. The other 99% of that is Aaron Copland, because he's the <laughs> only popular composer who will draw an audience fan base. So you get into a situation where the people who are going to orchestra concerts go because it's not new. They go because they can hear Mozart's 35th Symphony, or they can hear uh, the Dvorak Cello Concerto, or they can hear all of these pieces of music that they know and they love. The same thing happened with big bands after the swing era. They used to be places where you would go and hear new music and they were putting out popular hits. By 1955, big bands had become relics of a bygone era, and they had to play the same hits that everybody already knew. And I know that someday it's going to happen for those of us who were young adults in the 90s, that we are going to go out to casino shows and eat overpriced prime rib and listen to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Mudhoney cover bands. Because that's, that is the nature of culture. Once you freeze it at a place in time, it tends to stay in that same place. So then we froze somewhere in the 1950s, and you've had people who have joined since that time. And unless you can get kind of get on board with that culture of this is a lodge and we come here and we don't spend money and we argue about what we're going to do and we never try anything new, you're not going to be successful in that. The exception to the rule are the lodges that have stayed closer to the original idea of Odd Fellowship, which is 
to be of service to the members. And they will look at the members and go, hey, what do we need? What does our lodge need? What do our members need? What does our community need? Those are the lodges now where we're really seeing the growth. And one thing that we've seen with our show, the Three Links Oddcast, is that there is demand for odd fellowship in places that has not been for a long time. Because as people go looking around for that kind of community network, they see that we actually have the framework of it. But it only works if those groups that are set up continue to function with the needs of their members and their communities in mind. Otherwise, it turns into an old calcified lodge where it's just perpetuating the needs of the people who show up regularly. You know, let's play pinochle and eat ice cream after lodge on Tuesday nights. And, you know, there was one lodge um, years ago that was entirely full of type 2 diabetics. And so they would have their lodge meeting, do it as quickly as possible, and then they would all take shots of insulin and eat ice cream after lunch. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I, I think about that, and I just think, wow, if I'm like 25 years old, you know, maybe just starting to get established in a career, do I want to go hang out with a bunch of people 40 years older than me and watch them poke themselves in the belly with insulin needles and then eat ice cream. Is that the kind of engaging lodge experience that's going to keep me coming back? Well, for myself, I, I would actually go hang out with those people because it could be a very interesting social experience. <laughs> I was going to say, that's definitely a odd, odd, odd fellow. Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of things you guys said, I wanted to jump on because uh, like if we looked at technology as the current technology is what we were going to use, we being the past odd fellows, if they chose to use it, then they would have used technology as a tool and they probably would have done something, which I think is what we're trying to do now, which is say um, we would, I, I think we would, we would probably try to find ways to use the, essence of what real odd fellowship and the historical meaning of odd fellowship and not the historical ways like we would we would focus on the what like we got this tool what can we do with it well we have email what can we do with this we all have laptops everybody has a computer what can we do with it and we would think about our odd fellow uh principles more than we would think about oh well this will help us with um you know sending out minutes like it would be like, oh, okay, well, that's all the computer's good for. Yeah, why bother? Um, if we thought more about it, which I think you guys are kind of touching on, is that, hey, we might actually go deeper into our roots with the technology. And so as the 1950s comes along and we're seeing that, you know, there's, I, I don't know what would be a new technology in 1950. I'm too young for that. But like, well, think uh, you you just you just wouldn't like your the you you didn't want your dad's car you didn't want your dad's life you didn't want your mom's life so you would probably be looking for something that was hip and new and whatever so I don't know you're 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 on the radio odd fellows doing ads on the radio or something that's that's active and and current and and using the tool go ahead well, think about this idea I I think you hit on something really important. The new technology of the 1950s was television. It was what everybody was getting. 
Um, there was a famous quote from, I think it was Jack Benny, who said, okay, I will start doing television shows, but it's a fad that's not going to last, and I will be right back on radio in a year. Well, that didn't happen. Jack Benny became very, very popular on television. So how would Odd Fellowship have embraced the early days of television? My first thought is something similar to what the Masons have done with the Shrine and their sponsorship of sporting events. There's a big college football game, the East-West Shrine Game, and it's played, I think, in Alabama. And the name of the game is the East-West Shrine Game. So if you know nothing else about that, you know that Shrine is somehow involved. And then they get the opportunity to run a couple commercials during the game where they talk about the Shriners and the Shriners Hospital and all the wonderful philanthropic work that the Shriners do. Okay, what if the Odd Fellows had sponsored something on television? What about Vin Scully and the NBC Game of the Week on Saturday afternoons brought to you by the Odd Fellows? What if um, auto racing or the wide world of sports or hockey night in Canada? What if the Odd Fellows had gotten in some small part of that? Because if we take our earlier assumption of a fairly constant level of membership, there would be enough members paying enough dues that we could pony up some serious money for some ongoing advertising or sponsorship. Now, we do a great job. Our brothers and sisters in California, they do a fantastic job with the Rose Float, and that generates a lot of traffic for our website when people go, Oddfellows, Rebecca's, who are they? Mm-hmm. And they look it up on the internet. But if we had something that was a regular thing, even if it was just, you know, Sunday night before All in the Family, uh, we showed a commercial there, or we did something to embrace mass communications. Because I think one way in which the adherence to tradition really stifled our adaptation as technology changed was the idea that Odd Fellows were supposed to be this silent group that nobody openly talked about that was present in the community. As the focus of community shifted away from local activities to more mass communications with radio and TV, we did not make that shift. Mm. Yeah, good point. Are you ready for another one? Yeah. Okay. Dig in the hat. Dig in the hat. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Um, So I just want to let everybody know, you know, we're just talking you know, this isn't like a complaint <laughs> on every single thing. We're just yeah. talking about stuff. And and so I'm going to throw a couple out here. So how would Odd Fellowship be different if non-whites had been introduced from the beginning? I think that's a really interesting question. Because one of the questions that frequently comes up in the discussion of fraternal orders is the kind of dichotomy between inclusion of all mankind and then the kind of exclusion that happened where Europeans were always kind of the focus. Now, to a certain extent, you know, if you're talking about Sons of Italy, 
uh, or the Sons of Herman or something like that that's done along ethnic lines, well, it makes sense. You know, you're not going to have a bunch of Swedes joining the Sons of Italy. But in a broader sense, when you get to something that's supposed to be universal and about the brotherhood of mankind, it seems really problematic to say, wait a minute, your skin is too dark to be here. You go down the street. Now, in one sense, that was really a way of kind of isolating. Um, because if, if you look at a lot of history, there was a lot of nativism that always translated into, we have to protect jobs. And as an organization that was primarily for working men, it makes a certain amount of sense that Odd Fellowship would say, okay, if you are a white European in North America, you are working, supporting a family, and building a community. So we're going to be here for your needs. Now, if you look at 1819, when Odd Fellowship first came to North America, our African friends were still almost entirely enslaved in this country. And so it would not have made sense at that point to say, okay, you're the property of someone else, but we're still going to give you the benefits of being a working person and contributing to your community. Now, at a certain point, that changed, and those people who had formerly been subjugated suddenly had access to much more than they ever had before. And so it would have made sense at that time to say, okay, we're all here, we're all human, we're all going to work together for the same thing. But that change did not happen. And so it's interesting to think about what would have happened maybe in 1865 if the Sovereign Grand Lodge had said, all Americans are now free, all are now able to be odd fellows. But in fact, that didn't happen. And if you look back through some of the proceedings of the Sovereign Grand Lodge, there were interesting debates that came up. One that I found was about whether or not Syrians constituted full white blood and therefore were eligible for membership. Because on the one hand, Syrians are not ethnically European. They're, uh, they are Syrian. They're part of their own uh, group over there. But they're kind of similar to Europeans in a way. And if you really look back in history, Jesus was not European. He was, you know, of that general area, uh, the near East. He was a East. short, brown-haired, brown-eyed man. Yeah, exactly. And so it, that begs the question, if Jesus applied to an Oddfellows Lodge, could he have gotten in? Well, we don't know. We were not around as early as that other fraternal order that started <laughs> with uh, Solomon's Temple. But... It caused quite a bit of a stir in the Sovereign Grand Lodge when they're trying to figure out because end of World War I, there were a large number of refugees from the former Ottoman Empire who were coming to North America. They were emigrating to communities and they said the way to get integrated in a community is to join a fraternal order and they wanted to do that. Ultimately, the Sovereign Grand Lodge decided that Syrians did count as white. And there are other instances of that throughout the history of Odd Fellowship where people have looked at it and said, well, it's 
kind of not exactly what they meant, but I guess they're close enough. We can let them in. Or they said, well, they're not close enough. We can't let them in. And all of that against a backdrop of supposedly universal brotherhood. What say you? Well, uh, what year was it that Peter Ogden brought the Grand United Order to the States? Was it 1848? Three. 1843. 43. Thank you. So before the 16th Amendment, there was already uh, Odd Fellows organization established for free uh, slaves or freeborn uh, African Americans or Africans coming to America. So I wonder what it would have looked like if say after the emancipation and if say like if in a magic world where Jim Crow never happened, if the organization was like, okay, everybody's in. If there, if that would have um, poached everybody from the grand United order, or if those folks would have been like, Hey, wait a minute, yo, we've got our own thing going on over here and you're now poaching from us. We don't want anything to do with you. So that is another potential could have been a pushback. I, I know that's a big hypothetical, but that's, you know, just one thing I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind of, I wonder how that would have played out. Um, yeah. I, I think there is something there because I think the, uh, the, a group dynamic that is asked to be, you know, you should include this mm -hmm. group. Um, the protectors of the original group will say, well, what do they already have? Mm -hmm. And and they might say, oh, they've already got their own association. They've already got the the sons of Ghana or they've got the sons and daughters of, of Cuba. You know, they've got that kind of going on. So they don't need to be part of it. So it gives the, the protection and the defensive ones well, they've already got their own thing going on, so they don't necessarily need to be part of ours, so we don't have to write a new rule to let them all and in. And I suspect that was like the low-key racism excuse oh, that yeah. many odd fellows on the independent order side used to not integrate mm -hmm. and why it took as long as it did, which I think is a shamefully long period of time that it took 106 years longer than it should have feasibly. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. here's a here's a question for you about that, Billy, because you're in Canada, and Canada had a very different sort of uh, experience with Africans being in the country. You know, a lot of them were escaped slaves who didn't want to be recaptured, and so they would flee up to Canada on the Underground Railroad. And, you know, slavery was abolished in the British Empire, what, 1803, I think? So you would think in Canada, it probably would have been easier to have that kind of integration. So I wonder why it wouldn't have happened with an impetus coming from some of the Canadian members. Because, for example, um, you know, there were... Uh, grand lodges of the provinces at that time and you would think certainly a place like ontario which received a lot of escaped american slaves um there probably would have been a certain degree of demand for uh integration 
just from there because there wasn't the same kind of uh, institutional separation that happened after Reconstruction ended and Jim Crow settled in. You know, Canada has a really different history in that way. So I wonder how that might have been different. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a history guy. Um, my, from what I've learned from Oddfellows, and I, and this is a, you know, is a, a a long, dusty road I haven't traveled down when it comes to research. But the uh, Canadian Order of Oddfellows, which was part of the Manchester Unity may have been more accepting and more uh, inclusive in Ontario um, for that reason, that their governance was not the sovereign Grand Lodge. It was in the UK or, or what would have been London or somewhere like that. So I think oh, Manchester. Yeah. Ah. Um, so the, the opportunity might have been better there. Uh, so we hear so much about the history being just drilled down from uh, from the U.S. Yeah. So whatever the Sovereign Grand was doing, we were part of it until, um, well, until B.C. had its own Grand Lodge in, um, in 1879, I think, 1874, right. 74, right. 74, yeah. 79. And so the, the influence was just still there that it was well if sovereign grand lodge says it then we're okay to do that yeah. um so i i think i would take that um i was gonna jump on a on a moment earlier because ainsley introduced me to a book now i haven't read the whole book but i'm holding it up it's the odd fellowship illustrated and ah yes the tall shatner yes tall shatner yeah so this book was very interesting because it's his speech that he gave at, uh, I guess, a session or a Grand Lodge delivered before the Grand Lodge of the state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And it's published 1877. Um, and I thought it was a fascinating book because I haven't read every word of it. That's why it's still interesting. Maybe I'm going to come across a couple paragraphs where my uh, my teeth grit down a little bit. Uh, but there's, there's always a couple of those. <laughs> but there's a section where he goes through every nation or every race. And I mean, it's pretty typical of the period um, and the need to group. But it was mm -hmm. like, hey, everybody, these people exist in the world. And it's not just us and everybody else. It was very clear that he, that the speech was written in a way to enlighten there are uh, a number of different people and different communities and different nations within Polynesia, for example. So if that had stuck in 1870, even then, that, that, yeah, all these people are part of the world and you said you're a brother to mankind and, you know, um, I, think, I think we would see things very different in that we would be open. Like we would just be open to, to culture and how stuff is done. Maybe we'd I be think, more appropriate for acceptance and so forth through those years of the 20s to the 50s, et cetera. I think as a counter to that, um, one definite big snafu is, um, and I know it, I've, I've read that, that section that you're talking about. I feel like a lot of um, well-meaning um, inclusivity, especially in the early year, part of the 20th century and before that was kind of 
well-meaning okay. white knight. Yep. Yes. Like, like we're we're here to take care of you and be your stewards and bring enlightenment to you to get you on the same page as us. We still view non-whites as not maybe as inferior anymore, but as less right. um worldly or yeah. something like yeah, I, I think there was a threat to it too right that, yeah that, uh, it's the same defensive tribalism we have now like we but, have to it's like missionary type yeah. vibes you know what i mean now another thing that you brought up ainsley if we had suddenly integrated odd fellowship say in 1866 mm-hmm. that would have taken away the primary need for the Grand United Order to serve African-Americans. And if you go back to our episode with Brother Supreme Page, he gave an incredibly eloquent testimony to how important the Grand United Order was in building black communities. They needed that kind of organization. Because the job that the independent order did as pioneers moved west, where the first organization that would tend to community needs would be the Odd Fellows Lodge. Well, just as for white Americans moving west, Odd Fellowship fulfilled that purposes, for black Americans who stayed where they were at, who stayed in Alabama or Tennessee or Kentucky, they needed a way of building communities for themselves. They may not have been pioneers in a covered wagon, but they needed a way to build those communities. And one of the things I love about following the Grand United Order on Instagram is I get all these great historical stories about the great African-American leaders who were odd fellows. I mean, these were men who were incredibly accomplished there are so many stories of brothers who put themselves through college by picking vegetables all summer and then taking night classes and then becoming school teachers in the black education system so they could afford to further their own studies. And all of these brilliant self-made people who then went back and built the black community if we had integrated at a certain point earlier than we did, it most likely would have taken away a lot of the impetus to have the Grand United Order specifically serve the needs in that community. Now, obviously, nobody's going to stand up and say, yeah, see, it's a great thing we were racist back then, because that's not really the point. But the point is, for those people who needed Odd Fellowship, there was the perfect form of it available for just what they needed. And I don't think that if you had had um, racially mixed lodges in 1910, you would have seen the same kind of dedication to investing in those communities that really needed it at that time. You know, they would have been the lodge that did everything for the whole yeah. town. So they would have supported maybe the soup kitchen instead of raising money for textbooks for the black high school or right. doing things like that, that were really much more community focused and really needed. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So dovetail, 
Mm-hmm. We got two left here, guys, on my uh, on my list. So this one's just, I'll keep it because it's it's pretty similar. Um, what uh, would have happened if uh, women and the Rebecca's? Uh, sorry, we'll just say if the women had been Odd Fellows earlier on. I won't give a time frame or anything like that. So instead of the year that we. That, that the sovereign grant, we, I, I always correct myself. I wasn't an odd fellow then, but when the sovereign mm-hmm. grand lodge accepted the collective that, we, the yes. collective we accepted the application of women for odd fellows lodges. Should we do split it into pre 1851 and like, like pre Rebecca's or like as if they never happened or. I, well, my suspicion is that we would have similar answers to what okay. we just talked about but so we, if there probably. was yeah so if there was instead of saying that the order has to have the odd fellow order has to have women otherwise we are going to officially be out of business mm-hmm. uh, what if it was in the 60s when we were still thriving let's put it that way let's give it a time frame okay. when we were still thriving why um even the 40s or the 50s why not accept women at that time and then what would have been the difference if we had I would say if we allowed women to join in the 40s or 50s or 60s, without a doubt, just knowing the way laws were then against women still, where you couldn't open a bank account without your husband's permission. A lot of places wouldn't let you even get a library card without your husband giving permission because I guess books are dangerous. Um (laughs) <laughs> you would they the, the rule would have definitely been some sort of second class rule like that like either your husband had to be a member of the lodge or your husband had to sign off to allow you to be a member of the lodge so there would have still definitely been i feel like i'm like the voice of negativity on this episode and i hate that no oh, i don't no, think you're the no, voice no, of negativity not. like i no. but like I, I definitely i feel like it would have like you know like looking at t- through today's lens versus where people were at that time. And if they were integrated, they still wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have been as good as it is today. Cause there would have still been a lot of cultural um, growing to be done. So I, I feel like it would have, the women would have still been kind of a secondary role in the lodge purely because they would have had some sort of gatekeeping process in front of them to be members or to allow them to participate in some degree, they would have had to have had a male family member have to vouch for them or be in the lodge or something like that. And and I think I'm going to go on my jump on the back of my point again about the the Rebecca's existing and, and that it gave the, Hey, that's they're thriving. They Mm -hmm. don't, you know, they're doing well over there. We don't, the odd fellows, I'm going to try to stop saying we, the odd fellows don't necessarily need uh, this injection of population and, and, and uh, vibe and culture and people. Uh, we're fine. And a lot of that was also coming from the Rebecca's saying that. And they were already, you know, sharing their, their, maybe the, the life, their home life is shared and they're like, Mm. okay, tonight culture is you go your way. I go my way. Um, And in, and that's just the way it was at the time. But I, I wonder what would it have been like if everybody was together all the time in a meeting and would would our charity be different? Or maybe it's the similar answer to the, the previous question that we would support 
in a different way because we had other influences in what we or what they were choosing to support. I think it would be uh, quite a bit different. And my answer or my reasoning for that answer is the Grange. If you look mm. at the Grange, the Grange was founded 1867 and it was founded by Masons and Oddfellows who said we need a fraternal order that is focused on rural farming communities and those ideas, uh, something that will serve those people. And so because the idea was serving rural farming communities, those were made up of family-based units, uh, you know, uh, a male and female married pair who are producing children, a.k.a. free farm labor. And <laughs> they, needed, they needed various services out in farm country. They needed things out on the plains. Right. Um, and so they, they needed something like that. So the organization was structured to meet those needs, which is why men and women were included to put it together. You know, you have to have right. both men and women in the Grange. There's some offices that are specifically reserved for women because they understood it was for a mixed community. I think it would be incredibly difficult for Odd Fellowship to have changed our gender ideas any sooner than we did. We might have done it as early as the 1990s, but remember the original idea of Odd Fellowship was to be able to take care of working men who were heads of household who had dependents. So that was the idea of it. And so bringing Rebecca's into it, that was something that was intended to be for the dependents of Oddfellows, which is why you had to be related to a third degree Oddfellow to join the Rebecca's. It wasn't meant to be uh, a separate fraternal order where women could do their own thing. It was meant to further the mission of supporting the dependents of working men. And so... You know, the Rebecca's eventually grew beyond that. They realized that the message of the Rebecca degree and of the whole organization resonated with all kinds of women. You didn't have to be related to an odd fellow and you didn't have to be a dependent of an odd fellow. But that was the original idea. It would have had to involve a cultural shift in the focus of what the organization was doing. So I definitely think it wouldn't have happened in the 19th century. I definitely think it wouldn't have happened uh, in the first half of the 20th century. Maybe possibly the earliest it could have happened would have been World War II. Some of the lodges that we may have lost in World War II might not have been lost if women were allowed to join the Oddfellows Lodges. But then again, by that point, Rebecca's were much more independent. So at that point, what kind of damage would have been done? Or similarly, why would a woman who was used to a, a much more gender segregated society think that she would want to join with the odd fellows when the Rebecca's are right there and that's her thing? You know, that's the thing that's intended for her. So I think it would have had to take at least one generation of having women in the workplace and raising another generation 
for whom um, being a sole breadwinner was no longer uh, a major gender role for that to change. So I, I think maybe the earliest it could have happened would have been the 90s. Yeah, so the 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 fact that there were so many uh, soldiers, men that had died, and now there are widows and single family, single income, or not single income, but, uh, you know, women raised families. And after two sessions of, of these types of wars, and then a pandemic thrown in the middle, it it is that Oddfellows still chose at the time to look at society to say, what does society, how does society dictate how we will run our lodge. And I think we do the same thing right now. And that's what's yeah. making us so feisty on the inclusion and the feisty on what is unacceptable. But there is so much that was acceptable that it was sort of possibly an easy, easy answer. No. It, hey, you have a separate door to the, the, the bar or the saloon. You have different lounges. You have, I, I grew up, I was very blessed to to have worked in golf course business in my teenage years. And there was the men's lounge and the ladies lounge. And there was mm -hmm. this and there was that. And there was this and there was men's day and ladies day. And, and I, this is all hanging around. This is the seventies. And so it's all hanging around from, from decades and uh, of it. But if you compound everything, and I think that's, that's where we see the difference of, of doing things now is that things are compounding on each other. We have, uh, the force of a large population of people who want change. There, there you go. We have a large population of people who want inclusion, or they want the the laws to change in certain ways. If Oddfellows had, if we compounded all the all the what ifs we have right now, so if what if ten percent of the city's population was Oddfellows and believed in Oddfellow principles, what if they were including? non-whites when everybody else in the city was n excluding non-whites what if they were accepting women uh you know could oddfellows be the the force of change i think at the time it was just constantly easy to say we don't need to do that you know we don't need new technology we don't need new thinking because the society around us isn't demanding it yeah I think another pattern that might be forming by these um, questions is um, is the reaction time of the organization getting slower and slower as it ages. So back, you know, 125 years ago, we were quick to adopt things. And then after the First World War, we kind of were this giant thing and almost like Rome, right? And so we kind of didn't need to react as quickly because why did we need to? We're, we're the ones that are the standard bearer. And then after the second, you know, after the, the well, first the Great Depression and then the, the uh, Second World War, we took a big hit, but we're still, you know, you know, getting to be like fifth century Rome at this point, but we're still thinking, we're looking back at our glory days of like of memory, like those the members in the 50s can remember the 20s that, you know, because they would have just been like 30 year members at that point. They would still be, you know, maybe in their 50s at this point and remember the good, good days. And so they're just riding out that memory and failing to react. And then as the as the 
uh, median membership age grows to like, you know, everybody's in their 50s. No, everybody's in their 60s, 70s, 80s. And they're not looking around them through the same kind of current event lens as maybe a more active working population is. They're slower to catch on, you know, like things today, me and Toby were just on a two plus hour Zoom meeting for the communications committee and trying to figure out how to do something that in theory should be something relatively simple to do. However, since we have so many layers of technology going on and so many layers of membership that haven't adopted this technology, which is already too old to even be up to date. It's like we're working with a Nintendo from the 80s, but we're trying to get it to work like a new Nintendo, but we've got old people who are still playing on an Atari. And oh, Atari, that's my generation. Yes. Yes. We're trying to get this all coordinated, and it should be, if things were up to date as they should be, that we should have been doing all along, it would be a lot easier. But now we have to do all this catch-up work to get things on to the page it needs to be before we can move forward. And it turns into a gargantuan task because we waited too darn long. Right. And I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. No, it's, but <laughs> no, it's right. I th I think that's that's totally it. Just the speed at which the um, the, the the population of the uh, membership at the time, we can mm. only go as fast as that. And now now it's changing. Now you have the mm. new lodges, and if those new lodges are bringing in twenties, thirties, forties. They're going to have 20, 30, 40 year old ideas. Um, yeah. Now, here's another way to look at it. <clears throat> and this is something, um, you know, spring is here and jurisdictions are looking at doing their Grand Lodge and Rebecca Assembly meetings. So, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be participating in the Grand Lodge and the Grand Encampment of Oregon. They are going to do a fully online session. It is going to be conducted from the Grand Lodge office via Zoom. Everyone who participates will be on Zoom. The Grand Secretary prepared ballots ahead of time for the officer elections. The ballots will be opened and counted at the meeting. This is something that is largely without precedent to do the business of a Grand Lodge in this way. Now, we had some discussions about doing something like this at the Grand Lodge of Washington. And one of the more senior past Grand Masters said, you cannot do that if you do anything that is highly dependent on computers. You're going to be disenfranchising the senior longtime members who aren't able to access that technology. But my response to that is we already make a choice in how we do our business by requiring everyone there in person with physical representatives sitting in a room to take a vote on what we do. We are choosing to disenfranchise largely younger working people who can't necessarily take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off the third week in June. So we are choosing to disenfranchise those people. We are not just sort of passively saying, well, their lodge can choose someone else. No, we're actively disenfranchising those people because we are not embracing the same level of connectedness as other groups are, as, you know, lodges that are starting to meet 
uh, online and do business in a way that uh, facilitates um, not being in the same place, which has been necessary due to the pandemic. Going forward, I think that we should really take a serious look about being able to incorporate more technology so that we are not choosing to disenfranchise those who couldn't necessarily participate in a three-day Grand Lodge session. You know, we we want to have those people involved. We should want to have those people involved. We should want to have younger members who have newer ideas to be able to be part of the process so that they see what happens and they can move forward with it and help the Grand Lodges and help their own lodges to be able to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it's not about the technology. It's about the passion. Mm -hmm. People don't go to Grand Lodge, right? Like regular members, just the doors open, go, go. People don't go. Telling somebody that going on technology is going to suddenly flood a whole bunch of people and exclude a whole bunch of people. I don't think it holds water. I don't think the argument holds water. I think it's going to be, well, if you're passionate enough about Grand Lodge, you'll figure out how to use Zoom. Sorry, Gord Moffat with Parkinson's barely can use his uh, hands and and manage his life in general. He's on our Zoom calls for Mm -hmm. our meetings. You know, sorry, sorry, Gord, I'm going to drag you through this. We get a (laughs) lot of your, we get a lot of your ceiling and a little bit of your forehead, but you're there and you're, and you're yeah. contributing and you're answering questions. And, mm-hmm. and he spoke up and said, this is how you do it. And he was the bylaw guy at the last meeting. And it was like, well, it's passion. If you want to know how to do it. My mom's joined a book club. She's 87. She hates the computer. She's joined an online book club. Like you'll do it if your passion is there. And furthermore, and- what you just said, brother Gord has Parkinson's. It would probably be prohibitive for him to attend a meeting in person. But by being able to communicate electronically, he can participate in a way that was not available to him before. I was about to say that, that it actually opens up the accessibility Mm -hmm. to how many members miss the session every year because they're too ill to travel. And there's always a list of people that they'll say, you know, they're, they're going through the list of reps doing roll call and say, oh, they were going to come, but they had this happen or they were going to come, but they fell or this. And the accessibility that would open up to people who are unable to physically travel to the session. And there's always a member that knows how to use this stuff that would be more than happy to go to your house and set up everything for that member so that they can have the zoom or whatever platform so that they can attend the meetings, either the lodge meetings or grand lodge session or whatever, and be an active member instead of sitting alone at home, missing their meeting and hoping somebody gives them a phone call once in a while because they've been forgotten about. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's switch it up. Okay. All right. We're going to, we've, we've wrapped our first hour here. This looks like the easiest editing job I've ever had to do. This is fantastic. Hopefully my audio sounds okay. But uh, brothers, why don't we just take a a snapshot break and we'll have everybody enough time to go over and download Three Links Oddcast uh, or just keep on rolling. Ready? Yeah. All right.